Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. The news this week? What does Jamal Khashoggi have to do with the end times? And an interview with Orna Grinman about the state of affairs between the House of Judah and the House of Israel. But first, the United States and its uptick in war against Iran. The Trump administration announced last week that the United States will continue in Syria in an effort to stop Iran's expansion across the Middle East. Trump's decision reversed promises made seven months ago to President Putin to pull U.S. troops from Syria. The idea, according to James Jeffrey of the State Department, is to continue the U.S. military mission until Iran withdraws its soldiers and militia forces from all Iranian-held territories within Syria. Russia is now a major obstacle in the way of the United States agenda to back Iran down. Tensions between Israel and Russia are high after the shooting down of a Russian fighter jet that Russia blames on Israel, even though the evidence in no way shows Israel was involved. The Russian fighter jet was shot down by a Syrian air defense missile during Israeli airstrikes against Iranian targets. With increased tensions between Israel, the U.S., and Russia, now comes an uptick in tensions between the U.S. and Iran. According to NBC News this week, the Trump administration is developing a new strategy for the war in Syria that would focus more heavily on pushing Iran's military and its proxy forces out of the country, according to five people that are familiar with the plan. The new strategy would not involve the U.S. military directly targeting and killing Iranian soldiers or Iran's proxies, however, since that would violate the current U.S. authorization for using force in Syria. The U.S. military does have the right of self-defense under the authorization and could strike the Iranian military if it felt threatened. The plan would emphasize political and diplomatic efforts to force Iran out of Syria by squeezing it financially. It would withhold reconstruction aid from areas where Iranian and Russian forces are present. According to three people familiar with the plan, the U.S. would also impose sanctions on Russian and Iranian companies working on reconstruction in Syria. Driving Iran out of Syria would be one prong in an approach that would also involve continuing to destroy remaining pockets of Islamic State fighters and finding a political transition after the exit of both ISIS and Iran that does not call for President Bashar al-Assad to step aside. U.S. defense officials worry the increased focus on Iran and the presence of both militaries in Syria could pull the U.S. military closer into conflict. The U.S. is not allowed to specifically expand the U.S. military mission in Syria to directly target Iranian assets, according to legal experts, because that would put the U.S. on the wrong side of the authorization for use of military force passed by Congress in 2001. 
That authorization, which permitted the use of military force against ISIS in Syria, limits U.S. action to targeting groups responsible for the September 11, 2001 attacks and their associates. A defense official said under the new plan, the military would continue to talk about the mission in Syria as counter-ISIS, downplaying the fight against Iran, while the White House and State Department would continue their focus on countering Iran by squeezing them economically and diplomatically. An administration official said that since last year, Trump's serious strategy has pursued four goals, defeating ISIS, deterring Assad's use of chemical weapons, creating a political transition in Damascus, and curbing Iranian malign influence in Syria so that it cannot threaten the region to include ensuring the withdrawal of Iranian-backed forces from Syria. This is the official agenda, but what is the underlying one? The United States and its oil-controlling allies in Europe want to continue dominating the Middle East's oil supply. The U.S. wants to be the victor and continue using Israel to be the guardian of U.S. and EU-held oil interests in Syria, as they have done since creating the political state of Israel for this purpose. The spoil of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is the oil and natural gas and the Syrian distribution pipeline hub. U.S. officials and international allies persuaded Trump to keep U.S. troops in Syria by convincing him that leaving was counter to his efforts to get tough on Iran. The president's cabinet, his military leadership, and allies in the Middle East who opposed U.S. withdrawal persuaded him that a U.S. departure would create a vacuum that would be filled by Iran and ISIS. That got Trump's attention, according to the five people familiar with the new plan. The Trump administration believes its renewed sanctions are having an impact already, and with continued economic pressure, Iran will have trouble paying its forces in Syria. I believe this effort will ultimately fail. The reason Ezekiel 38.7 tells Gog to be a guard for Israel is because Gog has been using Israel as a guard for its oil interests from the beginning. Yahweh will bring about the Gog War in which Iran attacks Israel while Gog, that's the Ephraimite military forces, attack Israel to bring Judah under European Reubenite subjection and to attain control of what will have been lost in Syria, oil and natural gas. The United States' new focus on Iran is the same as Israel's. Russia will take on the United States. Iran will take on Israel while U.S. forces are fighting against the Israeli government on Israeli soil. And you know the outcome. Gog will lose that war. But God will pour out his spirit on both houses at the end of it. The coming wars will not be pretty. If you want to know just how brutal 
the great tribulation will get. Just read this week's news about the slaying of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul this week. Khashoggi was tortured and then dismembered while still alive. The Saudi who cut Khashoggi's body up was advised to put on earphones and listen to music, according to the newspaper which reported this and which cited security forces. The execution lasted seven minutes while this man died a horrific death. Prepare yourselves. God will not continue to tolerate the nonsense in his land and on his earth much longer. And now, here is a pre-recorded interview with an Israeli Jewish believer in Yeshua, Orna Grinman. She has some important things to say about the status of the war between the two houses that I've been reporting on in the last few months. Stay tuned. I think you'll find this interesting. We have a guest with us today on Beast Watch News, and this is a, a lady that lives in Israel. Her name is Orna. Orna, would you say hi to my audience? Hi and shalom. Yes. And now, you are born in Israel. Yes. And yes. Uh, and uh, you are. Pardon. Yeah, born in Israel, and I live here. Okay, and you um, are um, in the business of publishing. You were telling me, but before we get to that, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself than just that you live in Israel um, because I want you to give us your a testimony about how you came to Yeshua. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was born in Israel to a Jewish family. My father is a Holocaust survivor and my mother is a descendant of um, one of the victims of the pogrom in Kishinev in 1903. And this is important because it leads into my um, so story, my, my testimony. After my army service, I traveled to South Africa and I met a Christian family there. They invited me to stay with them. And it was a bit odd because I could see that they keep talking to me about their God, but it just worked well with my needs. And I just took advantage of that. And I saw how they live what they say. I was really impressed with the fact that they have a relationship with God. It was... Um, totally way out there and not something I was used to here people having um okay so I'm going to interrupt you here because are you saying that you were a Jew that did not have a relationship with God no I came to their home a total atheist atheist okay yeah I don't think he exists oh now so you were not raised as a religious Jew you didn't no. go to synagogue? No. Oh. Not at, not at all. Maybe on Yom Kippur, on the day of a tournament, we would take a walk. But um, that was my father's way to protest against God. Uh, he did many things on purpose, you know, like 
eat and kosher and uh, he did not for him the holocaust was a sign that god did not exist oh. uh, yeah yeah so they raised us up this way it didn't really matter a lot to me but when i did give thought to that i embraced darwinism and evolution And when I stayed with this Christian family, I was really impressed with the way they spoke about God. It wasn't enough to convince me to change anything about me, but I could see that they pray and it's answered somehow. I didn't care back then to document anything, but just things they would ask in the morning would really surprisingly be answered by the evening and a few weeks later I just I can't exactly pinpoint that but I knew there is God it has to be God so that melted my atheism but that did not mean that Yeshua is his son you know God is one thing (laughs) and this Jesus business I told them you can keep for yourselves uh, I will find my Jewish way to worship God. And of course, observing Shabbat, these things came to my mind. But that's as far as I went. But they challenged me. And they said, um, we believe he is the only way, even for Jews. So would you ask him? Because you see, he answers our prayers. And really out of respect to them, I didn't even care about that. But because they have opened their home and were so great with me, I said, okay, you know, I can give God three days and I will ask him and I will open the Hebrew Bibles. I did not travel to South Africa with a Bible. They found some for me, very old ones, very big ones. So I had three volumes to cover the entire Bible. And I would just open the Bible and I will ask him and we'll see what comes up. So in my naivety, I would ask a few times a day, is Yeshua? I didn't even call him in his full real name. Is Yeshua? I used this curse word that is so common in the Jewish culture. Is he the Jewish Messiah? And I would flip through my Bibles and open them. I needed a whole table for them. Um, and it would speak about water or chickens or sun, S-U-N, you know. I, I didn't think this is the answer. And three days were almost over to my delight. And during the last night, I did that again. Just woke up in the middle of the night. I was wide awake. And I asked that question and got to the table and opened the Bible, and everywhere I did, the word Mashiach, Messiah, um, popped up. And my question was, is he the Jewish Messiah? And it was like God saying, Mashiach, Mashiach, yes, 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 yes. Um, wow. Yeah. That's an incredible story. <laughs> That's a very uh, incredible answer, yes. which I was not happy about. That did not make you a happy girl. It was a crisis. And um, because I didn't know you can be Jewish and still believe. I did not know I'm not the only one in the world. I did not think they would even let me back through the airport. 
because obviously they will see. I thought I've crossed the lines into the ranks of the enemy and that uh, I lost my Judaism. I definitely lost my citizenship on the spot. This is all of this went through my mind and I understood enough to realize I am saved. But what about my family? And a big fear in the middle of that night took over and I, I, I was sure they are all going to die because of what I just did. And I didn't even know how to fight a spiritual warfare, but I could call the name of Jesus and I just, of Yeshua, and I just did that and went through the whole list of all my relatives and loved ones to make sure they're under his wings. I don't even think I understood that back then. Uh, it was so powerful, so strong, the resistance inside me to be his follower. So that was crisis number one, becoming a disciple of Yeshua. It took me a whole year to get into the water because that presented for me even a worse uh, crossing of a line. I did again. I did not understand it's such a Jewish um, ritual. And when I came back home about a year later, my my hosts connected me to a few believers in Israel, and my journey here started. Um, a few years later, I. I moved back in with my parents and I kept meeting all these people from my past and sharing my faith with them, thinking they will be um, at least interested. With some of them, this was the end of the relationship. With others, it, yeah, it did bring up some curiosity. But there was this one guy, uh, we grew up together in the same neighborhood and I thought I'm sharing my faith with him. He had a little different agenda and a couple of wrong decisions on my behalf led to me becoming pregnant. So that was crisis number two. Um, and yeah, so I'm a single mom. My son is 29 years old now. Um, I never married his father mostly because of our faith, my faith, which for him is an abomination and it's unheard of, and um, this is what would lead to the destruction of the nation of Israel. So all of these things portray, I think, the picture of our mindset as Israelis when it comes to Yeshua. We don't see him for who he is. Uh, we definitely cannot see him as the lover of our soul. And getting saved is, uh, is, involves a crisis, not just a crisis of faith, but our identity, our culture. How are we going to present? I, I, I didn't even think my dad would ever want to talk to me after I would tell him what I believe in. And it wasn't easy to share it with the whole family. Um, yeah. So that's my testimony at the beginning of the way. Wow, that's a real testing going on there with you. But you've hung on to that faith, and now you... Um, uh, I met you through Pete Rambo. 
and uh, he was telling me what an extraordinary person you are and how much you understand about the scriptures about the how the kingdom was split and uh, how the ten northern tribes are still separated away from what we call all Israel or Kol Israel um, but um, you had shared some other things with me and I want to get to your publishing company in a minute but you were sharing with me in our conversation about that you believe that um, uh, Israel the Israelis the Jews that we know as Israel today are widows now when you said that to me um, I don't know what that means exactly because the the way that I have taught this issue is that uh, the house of Israel, the northern tribes, were cut off. They were divorced uh, from the covenant and that Yeshua came for the ten lost tribes to bring them back and to restore all Israel to restore them back you know to put them with Judah you know the two sticks um, and so are you saying that the southern house that's now what we know of as Jews that's who is the widow or is it all 12 tribes together you said in Isaiah 54 it says Zion but you probably know this that uh, Zion refers to the people as well as the city um, and so exactly what is your definition and who does it apply to yeah maybe we need to help our audience catch up a little because you and I threw a few terms into the discussion and they should be clarified um, the word widow in the Old Testament, actually up to 150 years ago, because I went and researched and looked for scripts in Hebrew, newspaper articles, whatever was written and used that word. And up to that time, which is modern days, the word widow had a broader definition than what we ascribe to it today. So today a widow is a woman whose husband died, but back in the Bible it had more definitions. It was that, but it also referred to Israel, to Jerusalem, to Zion, even to women who had a husband, but they did not have a full relationship with him, or there was something lacking there. It's that, uh, it was that broad. And when it comes to Jerusalem, to Israel, Isaiah 54 is a great example. Um, because the, the chapter speaks about the restoration of Israel. And God says in verse um, 4, he talks to Jerusalem, to Israel, and he says, Do not fear because we will not be ashamed. And you will not be... Um, oh, I don't have the English here. Do you have it? Can you read that verse? Can yes, and I'll read it in the King James Version. Yes. Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed, neither be confounded, for you shall not be put to shame, for you shall forget the shame of your youth and shall not remember the repro reproach rather, of your widowhood anymore. 
shame, shame, shame and reproach. One verse with so many references to that. But basically what he's saying here is that you're a widow now. How can she be a widow? Her husband is alive because she's in ruin, because she does not have a relationship with him. And, you know, the first, you know, the next verse, the first five makes it clear that she has a husband and who he is. What is his name? And then verse 6 describes what you said earlier, the process of divorce. That for a mere moment, verse 7, he had abandoned her or left her, but he's going with great mercy to gather her back. And which we know this is what has been happening in the last century or so. And then verse 8 represents another extremely important term, uh, to understand if we want to figure what this, where this widow is at today. He says that he had hidden his face from her. Yes. With anger. The face. And, um, it, it, it's, it's a very, um, deep and long teaching. What is the face of God? Or more accurately, who is the face of God? Stay tuned. I'll be right back after these messages. Thank you for listening to the Jerusalem Report on Beast Watch News. Full news coverage with a Hebraic perspective of the headlines fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember to financially and prayerfully support Beast Watch News for keeping you up to date. Send your donation to Beast Watch News today. It takes money to operate this ministry, and your help is much appreciated. Um, it is hidden from English readers because most references to the word face, it's really faces, Kimberly. In Hebrew, it's plural. Oh. Face, panim. It's not seen. Panim, yeah. Panim. It's, it's a plural, but most References to that are mistranslated into presence or countenance. You know, you can even recall the ironic blessing. Adonai Yael Panavelecha, Isa Panavelecha. Once it's translated into countenance and the other one is to faces. But in Hebrew, it's always the same word. There is no presence in the Hebrew Old Testament it's not it's non-existent and we talk a lot about wanting to be in God's presence or feel his presence but the Hebrew is panim it's really looking someone in the eye it's his face that we want to have turned back to us yes his face now, shines who, on us who is his face and when did he turn the face away the faces and when you start following the where the references of the faces from Genesis all the way throughout the Old Testament, you realize that it's a person. It's not right. sides. It's a person. It's an angel. Sometimes it, it is even called the angel of his faces. Malach And we know it is Yeshua because when you look at his personality and the things that he did, it's so clear who he is. But he is hidden. And just before the nation goes into the land in the days of uh, Moses, between Moses and Joshua, God, when they are on Mount Nebo, not from where you're at, Kimberly, when they are there, Moses warns the people and he says, if they will behave a certain way, meaning 
worship idols. I will hide my faces from them. It doesn't mean he will only turn his back to us, but he will hide someone from us. And then when they enter the land, they conquer, they settle, they start worshiping idols. He is hidden. Prior to that, they see him in a cloud of fire. And once they're in the land and they do exactly what he told them not to do, he is hidden from them. You don't see him anymore in the national narrative. Um, and that's why he is so well hidden that even when he walked on earth, when he put on flesh and walked on earth, we struggled with him. The, the nation was waiting for a Messiah to come, and we knew that when the Messiah will come, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the, the lame will walk, and he did that, and we still at the end of the day asked him, who are you? Give us a sign. Right. Where Gentiles, whether it was a Roman centurion or a Samaritan woman or a Phoenician woman, they, they said, I, I, I settle for the crumbs. I will, you know, just talk. You don't even have to come. And I, I know what you have and what you carry. He is that well hidden. And because of that, we don't have a relationship with him. We are not individual widows we are a widow as a nation okay we are fatherless as a nation we are really under a punishment and the punishment is called and it's acknowledged by the rabbis they call it we are in the era of hidden faces they don't understand who is the faces but they call it hester panin wow which is why they take the authority upon them, because they say, since Malachi, a voice from heaven is not heard anymore. Right. And that's why they take it upon themselves to keep the nation together. Yes. Um, yeah, I can go from here in a hundred directions, so I'm not even sure... Well, sense it makes. It makes sense, and it will make sense to our audience because we are a house of Israel. That's what we believe about ourselves, and we know that Yeshua came for us, and that His resurrection resurrected the house of Israel so that God could see us not as dead anymore. So when you say a house of Israel in relation to Gentiles, can you explain to me what you mean? Well, the, te the ten northern tribes that were sent into Assyria and that were further dispersed into the world, the Assyrian captivity has never ended. We're still in Assyrian captivity. Yeshua has to um, take that away. He has to return that captivity. But uh, we are not Gentiles. We are Hebrews. When we come back through Yeshua, we're back in the Abrahamic covenant now. And we, we need to be teaching our people to walk in the Mosaic covenant, in, in the law. That's the failure of Christianity. 
And, you know, there are prophecies that in the end of days, Moses talked about this. In, in the latter days, when you, in all the places where I've scattered you, when you finally wake up and you know that you need to return, meaning repent and start keeping the law, because we've been lawless for the last 2,000 years for the most part. And uh, even though he brought us back into the covenant, we've still continued to disobey. You know, Kashrut and um, uh, the Sabbath and going to Jerusalem for the feasts and so forth. Those things we don't do as Christians. So uh, we, we are Hebrews, but we're still disobedient Hebrews. And so we are now returning back to the Torah so when we come, those of us in Hebrew roots, when we come to a, a person like you and say we're Hebrews, what we're saying is we've not only returned with Yeshua, but we're keeping the Torah. Are you? Uh, do you think that all Gentiles who, um, all non-Jews who believe in Yeshua, are descendants of the ten tribes? No. Physical, biological descendants. No, not at all. Hosea, uh, Amos, and the other prophets talked about the scattering, and the result of that would be that the seed of the house of Israel would be scattered in the world to bring in the harvest of Gentiles. Um, and so we come back into the covenant with Abraham. We don't know whether we're from a tribe or not. But it doesn't matter because of the venevrakov, the, the blessing, the being grafted in. We were the natural branches that got cut off and he grafted us back into the tree of Israel, his tree. And yeah. so, so if you are a Gentile, oh, and by the way, by the end of days, and this is a, a belief that I have about the promise that God gave Abraham, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, will be benevrakov. That word means grafted in. So whether you are or whether you're not is irrelevant. You are a Hebrew because you have crossed over. I love that. I love that. Um, so I, I want to fast forward. I, mean, I, I hope we're clear to our to those who listen to us. But I do want to fast forward and take you to this last May. Um, I met a Jordanian woman who lives in America now. She lives in Texas, but she grew up in the mountains of Gilead, up north, oh, north yes. part yes. of Jordan, with her family until they moved to the states. And um, we were sitting in a restaurant in Jerusalem across the table and talking to one another. And I felt like I'm looking into my spiritual mirror. She, she looks exactly the opposite for me. So that wasn't that kind of mirror. But she used the terminology that God had been using with me um, throughout my walk with him. I talk, I use a lot the tabernacle of Moses in my ministry. So I talk a lot about being at the court or altar or the laver or, um, and especially about the widowhood of Israel and Ruth and Naomi. 
I'm very much into the book of Ruth and Naomi. And as we were talking, she just crossed over the Jordan River from Amman to Jerusalem. And as we were talking about that, she, we decided to go to Jordan together. This was Passover. Wow. And we decided to do it in Pentecost and kind of bring full circle the story of Ruth and Naomi because they, this, their story starts in Pentecost, in Passover and ends around Pentecost. And we wanted to travel to Jordan and maybe prophetically, prayerfully stop in a few locations and pray for the restoration of this modern Naomi that is also coming back from exile to the house of bread, to Bethlehem, accompanied by a Gentile Ruth, a Moabite, a Jordanian. So we had all those symbols there. And I wanted to carry the widowhood with me, and I wanted her to hold me by the hand, and I don't know, do whatever. So we had a couple of months to plan that trip, And by the time we had it all planned, we had um, three other women joining us. And we started crossing over. And I, it did not occur to me how deep God wanted to take us. But I have, I have been carrying the burden of the widowhood of Israel for more than a decade, teaching about it, speaking it, praying about that. Um, and I think what happened to me in Jordan, we, one of the locations we went through was um, the passage of Jabok, where Jacob wrestles mm-hmm. with the angel. By the way, do you remember the, the name of the place? Uh, uh, no, I guess I don't. It's called Peniel. Oh, the face, yes. And again, you have faces there because he wrestled with someone and um, uh, probably with the angel. It was an angel, but he asks for his name, you know, and the angel says, why do you need my name? You, you, you've seen me. You've, you know who I am now because you wrestled with me. But what Jacob goes through is a transformation of identity. He wrestles. And he shifts from being the deceiver, the one who, that's the meaning of the name Yaakov, Jacob, the one who follows the heels of someone else into the one who wrestles with God and prevails. And we were sitting there in the river. You don't know exactly where this passage, where this, it's really a cross point, not a passage. In Hebrew, it's ma'avar. It's a cross point of wrestling. This is the meaning, Ma'avaria book. And we were sitting there wrestling. It was so odd. We were wrestling, the five of us, and mostly me, because I could not figure out what kind of prayer or what does God want me to address there on behalf of Israel, the widow. And at the end of that wrestling, I realized it's time for Israel to stop following the heels of and not even to look at ourselves as a widow. Not because we don't have a husband, but just because we don't acknowledge him. It's time to cross over and become a Hebrew, a nation that crosses over wow. into a mother nation. 
<laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I always thought, isn't it? Yes. I'm still, I'm still at all with that. I'm still there, Kimberly. I just want to go there, <laughs> dwell there. And I, but first of all, I fell in love with Jordan. And I think that's why Pete put the two of us together. I fell in love with Jordan and there is something there that needs to be brought back home to Israel or Israel needs to reach out with. I'm not that clear about the whole thing, but there is for, for Israel to be restored and for the other part of the body to be restored to the table. There is a crossing over point. And by the way, we traveled across the rift, across the Jordan River, as often as we could trying to cross over. And we we carried with us a bottle of a bomb of Gilead that we purchased at the Dead Sea. They started reproducing it four years ago. I know. Uh, you, well, you, cause you're looking at the video with my mouth dropping open. <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> they started reprodu- reproducing it in the Israeli side four years ago after, th- after thousands of years it was lost. So we bought a bottle and we carried it with us and we sprinkled it into the water and prayed over it just zip, like, like a, like a zigzag, like a zipper, you know, wherever we could, um, Looking at Jordan as a symbol to the to the lost children, in a way, and it, it, Israel as a nation that needs to cross over. So we did that there, and I was so um, overwhelmed beyond myself to realize that there's a whole side to God, to the families of the earth like you call them, that were totally either ignoring or would love to get rid of, sorry, you know, the extremists among us. Um, and and that they need to be invited back to the table. So this this is something more, I think, that would speak to the Arabs, um, that would like to join God's tree. I want to go back to the Westerners, people like you, who have the understanding, and somehow God calls them into the wound, because I think you live inside the wound, Kimberly. How does it feel like to live in a wound, in a bleeding wound? Um, Well, (laughs) (laughs) it's a difficult place, isn't it? It's both difficult, it's exciting, it's intense. It Oh, that is a great word, intense. intense. Yes, there's a lot of intensity in my life, I can tell you. <laughs> Just being there? Yes. An intensity that was not in your life before you moved to Jordan? Oh, no, it was there before I moved to Jordan, but it's increased since I've been here. Um, being here has uh, caused me to change a lot in my spiritual walk, you know, getting closer to the Lord. Yeah, you need that in order to survive and may, and bring sense into what's happening. Is it, um, do you feel like being um, 
pulled into I now that I see the rift and I did not understand it prior to my journey to Jordan I look at the rift and I see the wound there and I look at the two banks so do you feel being pulled to one side of the wound or the other having to choose you know it's interesting that you describe that rift that way because when I first started keeping Torah I realized that uh people that are walking that are walking in Hebrew roots who are believing Yeshua is the Messiah and keeping the Torah they're a bridge and I can see this bridge between you know okay so here's this rift and here's the bridge and we're on this bridge we're actually we are the bridge we we need to stay another uh, uh kind of picture that came to me this year is that of the narrow path okay so you have the narrow path and then on both sides you have one is Christianity and one is Judaism they are both broad paths with false doctrines and they're not neither one of them know the Messiah Right. And, and so where where that small narrow path between and you know some of our Hebrew roots people get pulled off into Christianity some get pulled off into Judaism because they don't understand the influence that this little narrow path has in both houses right right um, yeah so as a bridge you may be stepped over at times or stepped on stepped on <laughs> Yes, yes. That's what it means. Yes. Yeah, well, um, you know, the Lord has prepared us all in our life to do the ministries that we do. And obviously, he's done that in your life because you have a ministry. And you told me um, a little bit about it, but it's your publishing ministry, right? I had a, my profession is uh, publishing and I had a publishing business for more than two decades. When God called me into ministry, um, he, he asked me to put aside the publishing business. So today, uh, more than a decade later, I also write. I write oh. books, I blog, but that's not the main thing I do. Um, I, I, in order to understand the widowhood of Israel, I needed to understand widowhood, neglect, abandonment. Yes, I'm a single mom, but I did not go through a lot of horrors that both um, women and men go through. Um, so I minister a lot among broken populations, Holocaust survivors. Uh, single parents, uh, fatherless children. I do all kinds of training. I offer a lot of training. It all has to do with the format of the tabernacle. I actually have a half-scaled model of the tabernacle. Oh, wow. And I carry it with me. Um, and when I open it all, when I store it, it, you know, it needs a little spot, but when I open it, it can take a large meeting hole, and I teach my uh, participants to leave the camp and walk through the gate and make it all the way to the Holy of Holies, and it, 
build a tabernacle out of their acacia woods inside themselves, do inside their hearts what the priests did on behalf of the nation. So a lot of um, our, our groups and, and um, seminars have to do with healing using a very biblical and Judaic. It's very, you know, it's easier to, have, to share Yeshua with a Jew when I speak about walking through the only gate or confessing and repenting at the brazen altar versus the wooden cross. They, they're more open to that. Uh, but I do it worldwide. I don't do it only with um, my people. So the ministry, in front of my eyes, I see the brokenness of the Israeli widow, and God brings my way very different ways to sow healing into that. Although, after sharing with you my Jordan experience, I don't want to talk to her about her anymore only as a widow. I, I'm, I'm praying about her taking her position as a mother nation. You know, you and I are probably calling on Israel to do the same things. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about that after we finish the interview <laughs> because my folks have already heard all that stuff so <laughs> but I'll explain it to you so wow this has been wonderful so what I want you to do is tell our people who you are and how they can contact you get your website and all of that yes the name is Orna Greenman, G-R-I-N-M-A-N. You can um, go into my website, that would be ornagreenman.com, or email me at otumofet, O-T-O-O-M-O-F-E-T, at gmail.com. This is the name of the ministry, and I would love to hear from you. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Orna. The news on the ground in the Middle East is accompanied by struggles in the spiritual realm. It is clear that both the physical and spiritual realms are preparing for something big. And I hope this interview with Orna has enlightened you a little more. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.